to Acts the sixth chapter. Acts the sixth chapter. We'll continue a little bit different uh, vein of thought, if you will, but the very same text, but continue with a separate sermon tonight. And that is asking the question, what is the personality of this congregation? You realize that every congregation has personalities. Sometimes you ask people, well, tell me about your church. Someone says, oh, we're a, we're a church that really focuses on outreach. Or someone says, oh, we're, we're a church that's really committed to our young people. Or we're a church that's really committed to, to reaching out to those that are retired. Or I've heard some say, well, we're an upper middle class church. We're, we're, we're an upper scale church. Or uh, we're an inner city church. And you think about all of these descriptions of personalities. But when we look at the beginning of the church throughout the book of Acts, just in the six chapters that we've studied so far together this year, I want you to think for just a moment. What would the personality of that church be? When we look at the Lord's church that was meeting in Jerusalem, what would the personality of that church be? Well, and I think in Acts 2, we see that church beginning with boldness. We see Peter and the apostles standing, looking in the eye, the ones that crucified the Lord, and they clearly spoke up of who Jesus was and how guilty they were of sins and how they needed to repent and be baptized. And then we see a church that does serve in a benevolent sense to reach out and to help the man that was lame. And then when questioned about it, they wouldn't back down at all. So not only do we see their power and their benevolence, but we see their courage. And then we go a little deeper into the book of Acts and we see them standing before the Sanhedrin council and arrested at night and and being able by God's power to escape. And again... They, if they were pushed against the wall and had to make a decision, their answer was, now if we have to decide to obey God or you, you be the judge of which we will do, implying we're going to obey God. They even, just before this sixth chapter, at the end of the fifth chapter, they were beaten because they would not stop teaching about Jesus. And if you'll notice, at the end of the fifth chapter, when they left being beaten... They rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer in the name of Jesus. I see a church that could be given a lot of descriptions, but I would like to think about this church in this simple way. The personality of that church was they were spiritual. I'm not talking about spirituality as we sometimes misspeak of it. Where we talk about, well, how's your spiritual life? as if it's a fragment or a section of our life. Well, I have my work life, I have my family life, and I have a spiritual life. Friends, when the Lord asks us to come to Him and be spiritual, He's asking that to cover all of our life. In other words, He's not saying, I want you to make some minor adjustments in your nature. He's saying, I want you to change your nature. I want you to shed the old nature, and I want you to become a new creation. 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter He wants us to be spiritual in that when we go to work, we approach work differently because we work for the king first and foremost. He wants us to go in our homes and we live in our homes differently because we're members of the king's family. He wants us to have a personal relationship with him that that we are frequent in scripture and studying because we want to know what God's will. We're frequent in prayer, but we're also very public in our relationship with God. Our spiritual life ought to cover 
and be the thread that is interwoven and the motive that drives everything we do. And when I see that New Testament church in Jerusalem, I see a spiritual church. And when I think about us at Mount Juliet, I don't say this out of any kind of pride and arrogance, but I would like to think that we could honestly be described as a spiritual church. But I also recognize that every one of us here has weaknesses and every one of us can grow. And together, collectively and individually, we all have things that we can do better. But as we think of the many ways that this world pulls us, I'd like for you tonight to keep coming back to that thought. Let's be spiritual. As long as we are spiritual not being guided by the carnal nature, but the spiritual nature, not being driven by material things, but by eternal things, not living in the darkness, but living in the light, as long as we are spiritual, everything will work out all right. But friends, it doesn't matter how great we do in a particular area. If we're not spiritual, the house of cards is going to fall in. So let's think about if these widows that we mentioned this morning in Acts the 6th chapter and verse 1 are being neglected, and keep in mind, we said this morning, anything that the Lord says is a work that is a part of His kingdom, it becomes spiritual work. And so we have, we have women that are, that are desperate for daily distributions of food, and they're not receiving that food. It becomes a spiritual work. The Lord has said to take care of widows. Now, what's interesting is, who are they going to find to do this work? Well, I tell you, they probably said we need to go down to the marketplace and we need to find some Christians that know how to run a business at the marketplace because this is going to be big to distribute food to everybody. I tell you what, let's find somebody that's had some experience in restaurant business or catering because if we're dealing with food, we need to make sure that it's somebody that can get the food delivered every day on a timely manner. I tell you what, let's just find who in the congregation has run the biggest business. Surely if we can find a man or a woman that's run a big business, we can just say, hey, take care of those widows and if they can run a big business, they can run that daily distribution of food. Remember the point we're driving home tonight? Spiritual. What were the qualifications when the apostles said, we're going to find seven men? As a matter of fact, told the church, you're going to find seven men, but we're going to let you choose them, but we're going to give you the qualifications that have to be fulfilled by each of these seven. Did you notice they're not secular in nature at all? Look again as we look at the seventh chapter, and let's look at verse 3. And if you're looking on the screen, you see that all I did was added a one, two, three, and four to the text just to highlight the four things that he said that must be fulfilled as qualifications in the lives of those that would be asked to serve in this capacity. Verse three, therefore, brethren, see, he's talking to the church. The church is going to find those of the church. The church has never depended on the world to do the church's work. That's important for us to realize because that places a little heavier burden on our shoulders when we realize that. The Lord does not look at the community and say the community needs to reach the community with Christ. It's the church that does the church work. And so he says in three, therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men. Here we go. Number one, of good reputation. Number two, full of the Holy Spirit. 
Number three, and full of wisdom. Number four, whom we may appoint over this business. Let's take just a few moments and let's look at these things because what is important for us to realize tonight, whether you're an elder or deacon or maybe you have influence as being a longtime teacher in a class where, where people in this congregation look up to you, they look to you for guidance in their life. How important is it for you to be spiritual? And then to think, do you realize that whatever direction the leadership will lead this church long-term will be the direction that the members follow. And so when we say we want a spiritual congregation, it must be led by spiritual men. So it's interesting to me to see this work here and say what kind of congregation was the church there in Jerusalem and even the feeding of widows had to be led by spiritual men. The first qualification that was listed there was of good reputation. As we think about good reputation, we looked at 1 Timothy, the third chapter, and in verse 10, we have the qualifications that are given of the deacons in this particular paragraph in 1 Timothy 3. And notice he closes 1 Timothy 3 and 10 by by saying, being found blameless. Now, the idea of being found blameless would, of course, not mean that one has never committed any sin or any wrong, but it's that anything that could be brought to his charge, he presently now is found that that is not a continuation of his life. In other words, if we wanted to back up with that with just a little broader stroke, it would be they have a good reputation. Now, as we think about the importance of a good reputation, I'd like you to turn back with me to Luke, the sixth chapter. In Luke, the sixth chapter, oftentimes when we read these verses, the context of these verses, usually they come to my mind out of the book of Matthew. And it's interesting to hear another sermon here where Jesus records many of the same things, but he links these together in a little bit different way. And so what I'd like to do is just go ahead and read 39 through 42. And then note how these are linked together. It's interesting that these three Passages of thought are linked together by Jesus. And so he says in 39, he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? Now, see, that has a principle of leadership in it. What happens when somebody's not spiritual? Well, if they're not spiritual, they'll end up in a ditch. Well, what happens if they're a leader and they're not spiritual? They're going to end up in the ditch with other people following them in the ditch. And somebody says, well, well, maybe not. No, we've got to accept the definition of leadership. We're not talking about, we're not talking about somebody saying, I want to be a leader. And in reality, nobody's following them. We're talking about when somebody is truly a leader, they have people following them. And if someone is blind and they are truly a leader, but they're not a spiritual leader, they end in the ditch and other people will end in the ditch also with them. So that's one principle here in 39. Let's read on. 40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Does that remind you of another passage? Remember in Matthew and John, the 13th chapter, when Jesus washed the feet? And remember, he taught them that they were not above him, that he was the master and you're not above me. And so if I wash people's feet, you ought to go out and you ought to wash people's feet likewise. Now, isn't that interesting that here he's given them this reminder that, hey, you're never above your teacher. Now, keep that in mind as we also go to 41 and 42. 
And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck that's in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. No one's ever above the master Jesus. What do spiritual leaders do? They realize that every moment of their day, they must keep their eyes on the one that they have chosen to submit their life to. I'm not submitting my life if I'm taking rulership above Jesus. Here's the Lord's will, here's my will. I want to do it my way. I've just put myself above Jesus. We are the disciples. We never should be placing ourselves above Jesus. So now we have this spiritual leader. He's not going to lead people in the ditch. Why? Because he recognizes at all times that Jesus is his master and Jesus is above him. And so literally, the spiritual leader recognizes the fact, I need to put a towel on and I need to be willing to serve everybody that's around me. But as I serve them, my eyes are on the one that is my master. As long as our eyes are on the master, we're not going to end up in the ditch. As long as our eyes are on the master, we're not going to lead other people to that ditch. But there's hypocrisy when someone says, my eyes are on the master, but the reality is not. And so then they look around to one, because after all, they have influence, they're a leader. They look around to someone and says, hey, you have a speck in your eye. You want me to help you get that speck out of the eye? And it's very offensive to that person. Why? Because that person realizes they have a plank in their eye. Notice this verse does not close by saying, as so many in the secular world, you know, you can listen to Oprah and hear this verse quoted, especially out of Matthew, judge not that you be not judged. And, you know, they'll point their fingers and say, you can't judge me. The Bible says you can't judge me. Read the rest of this verse. The rest of this verse, he's saying, yes, you should be able to judge people's actions. And when they're wrong, you should be able to help them make changes in their life, even if it's a speck in their eye. But first, don't be a hypocrite about it. If you're going to be a leader, and the truth is, if you're going to be a brother and sister in Christ, you first take care of your own life, get the plank out of your own eye, and then you can see clearly how to best help that other person. Why? Because we don't want to end up in a ditch. Good reputation. Who should be deacons? Who should be elders? It should be men who have a good reputation. Men that they will not lead people to a ditch. Men that it is very clear by their life that Jesus is the master of their life. And note this, men that if they came in a loving way and they talked with an individual about something that was awry in their life, that individual would be ready to to be supported by them instead of pointing their finger back and saying, you hypocrite. I can't believe with what you're doing in your life that you would have the nerve to come and ask me about what's happening in my life. The reputation is absolutely essential in good leadership. A spiritual church back in Jerusalem? Yes, before men could be placed over taking care of the daily distribution of the food for the widows, they had to have that good reputation. Also, 
we see full of the Holy Spirit. If you would, turn with me quickly to Romans the 8th chapter. We literally could stay in, in the, the Romans the 8th chapter for a sermon or two. And so I'm just going to have to force myself to move on. I'd love to develop a lot of this. But when we think about full of the Holy Spirit, think about verse 1, and then we'll skip down and read verse 5 and 6. But if, if this intrigues you, I encourage you to come back this evening or this week and read Romans 8. It's a beautiful study about when the Spirit of God is, is leading our life. And look how he says this in 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I sometimes like to illustrate this like, it's almost like, not to belittle it, but it's almost like following the leader. We can either follow the lead of the Spirit of God, or we can follow the lead of our fleshly and carnal nature. I want to do it this way, so we do it that way. Well, now we're following the carnal nature. Or we say, you know, my flesh would say do it that way, but I'm a Christian. I'm living a spiritual life. I'm going to follow the will of God. The Spirit has revealed in the Scriptures what that will is, and I'm going to follow that will. He describes that further in 5 and 6. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded, where's that going to lead? Talking about following the leader? I want to follow my carnal nature? Notice it leads to death. But to be spiritually minded, note this, leads to life. That's talking about eternal life and peace. Do you like peace in the congregation? If you're involved in ministries, do you like peace within the ministries? When you get together and you work, people just get along. You all have a focus on on what's important and you're all pulling in the same direction and everything is to magnify the Lord. And surely, surely all of us would say, I like that. You know, you have to have a leader that's led by the Spirit to have that. You're not going to have peace when a leader is being led by a carnal nature that's driven by pride, that's driven by some kind of alternative motive. It has to come back to being led by the Spirit. We're not talking about some kind of miraculous leading. We're talking about individuals that say, I want to submit my life to what the will of God is. I want to look in the Scriptures and say, what has the Holy Spirit, the Scriptures are given to us by inspiration, but the Holy Spirit, what does the Holy Spirit will for me to do in following that will? With that in mind, I'd like for you to look in Galatians, the fifth chapter. In Galatians, the fifth chapter, this is what's going to be produced. And really, the only reason I go to this passage is I want to challenge all of us to answer this question, but especially if you're a leader in this church, I want to ask you, does this describe your life? We all know what a fruit is as it pertains to, to uh, like the, the fruit that a tree bears. Uh, you know, we, we know that if you have an apple tree, It's always going to produce apples. You don't ever go to an apple tree and say, I've just been waiting this year. I'm hoping a tangerine will come off the tree this year. You don't do that. You know what fruit is going to be produced. We think about this carnal man over here. If he's living his life being led by the carnal, he's going to produce a fruit in his life and it's going to be the works of the flesh. That's also in Galatians 5. But the verse we're about to read say, all right, if we're going to be led by the Spirit, What fruit is going to be produced as we are led by the Spirit? And notice as we read this, fruit is singular here. All these different things we're reading, it's not that you just pick three or four of them you like and you say, I want to make sure this is in my life. If we are being led by the Spirit, 
these all come as one package, if you will. This is what our life is going to look like. And so let's ask ourselves, is this the way my life looks at home? Is this the way it looks at work? Is this the way it looks among my church family and among my community? Galatians 5 and 22, this is the fruit of the Spirit. Is love, joy. People describe you by joy. That's the most sour person I've ever met. That's, That's not a fruit of the Spirit, most sour person ever met. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Don't have to have it my way. I can be mistreated and still do the right thing. That kind of description is a description of the fruit of the Spirit. Kindness. Isn't that interesting how long-suffering and kindness go together here? And if you read in 1 Corinthians 13th chapter, the definition of love, they go together again. Suffer long and kind. That, just mull that one over. Meditate on that one sometime tonight. Long-suffering and kindness. Next time you're mistreated, see how well you do at being kind to the person that just mistreated you. And you'll figure out how the fruit of the Spirit's doing in your life. And, and that's what I say. Probably all of us have some work to do. Because this is where our fleshly nature wants to kick in and say, I'll just do it my way. And God's saying, no, follow me. Follow me. And so that's where our nature is different. And we become a new creation. We read on and he says, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified, back over here, we've crucified the flesh with his passions and with his desire. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You see all that arrogance, all that pride that's mentioned at the end? That's over here. That's put to death because now, what are we according to what the qualification was? The qualification back in Acts the sixth chapter is they have to be full, not kind of like the fruits of the Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit. But he also said, full of wisdom. As we think about wisdom, I'd like for you to notice here on the screen, Proverbs, the second chapter, verse 2 through 5. And as we think about this, it's interesting to me the three or four characteristics of wisdom that are brought together in this passage. If you can see the screen where you're sitting, you'll notice we have wisdom, understanding, discernment, and knowledge all underlined here. Let's read this house. Solomon laid out the plea for wisdom here. So that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart, that's your deep desire, to understanding. And, and this is real important in leadership. What kind of desire do you have to really understand people? Listen, as a leader, I cannot help you through things in your life. I can't help you grow from point A to point B unless I understand where you are and what you're going through. And if you'll notice as we read, uh, we won't have time to turn to 1 Kings, the third chapter, but that's the passage where Solomon was, if he could ask for any one thing, he asked for an understanding heart so that he could properly judge the people. And later when God grants that request to him, he tells him, I've given you an understanding and heart of wisdom. Listen, understanding and wisdom cannot be separated. They're not separated in the scriptures. All right, let's continue to read. Apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment, 
and lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search her as a hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. I'm not suggesting to you that this is the only way this verse, these verses here could be described, but, but I want to just paint a brief picture quickly. I've done this a while back, but to me, this is one of the greatest uh, ways to, that's helped me to understand perhaps what is wisdom. A lot of times we struggle to really put a definition. What is wisdom? I want you to imagine that there's something going on on earth. There's an interaction between people or there's a decision that has to be made. And if we cannot properly understand what is happening, we, we can't help. Even if it's helping ourselves or helping someone else. So we have this taking place on earth. Can you understand it? We have the knowledge of God that can help any situation. God has answers for everything. Now the question is, do we understand clearly enough what's really happening so that we can take the knowledge that God would teach on that topic and bring the two together? When we can bring the two together, we've made righteous discernment. Discernment is being able to make the decisions about it and being able to apply it. And you drop back from this picture of the knowledge of God, which we hear in the scriptures, and the decisions of taking that knowledge and properly applying it to what is happening, and you back up from that and say, what is that we just looked at? That's wisdom. When you and I have enough wisdom to take the knowledge of God, and it is our compass that we make discernment, about situations we truly understand. Boy, I hate to even say this because I'm in the middle of raising teenagers and I'm not very good at it. But I can tell you what teenagers say often about their parents. They say, they don't understand me. Now, as parents, we'd say, well, you didn't teach us nothing. <laughs> we knew that. No. All right. Uh, but, but think about what they're saying. Think about what they're saying and then apply it to wherever you are in life. You know, if my attitude as a parent is, I don't want to understand you. I just want you to do things the way I want it to be done. I could care less what you're going through. You realize that's not leadership, that's dictatorship, and that's setting up for rebellion. God's people have always cared about individuals and what they're going through. God's people have always wanted to understand because godly leaders, whether it's a mother and a father or an elder or deacon, godly leaders cannot help people grow from the problem they're in to a solution if they don't take the time to understand it. And leaders should have the knowledge to know how to help those individuals apply that and give wise counsel. As we think about finally... He says, over this business. You see, the work of the church, it's not a business. But there are matters at hand that have to be taken care of. The apostles, the apostles would not neglect their responsibilities. It's clearly stated in this one paragraph twice. They were not going to neglect their ministry in the word and their ministry in prayer. But they knew that this business of taking care of widows had to be fulfilled. And so they said, not only do we want you to find spiritual men, men that have a good reputation, in other words, the church will respect them, men that are full of the Holy Spirit, they're walking in the will of God, 
and men who are full of wisdom, they're going to understand that there's probably some prejudice going on here because it's probably not just a coincidence that the Hebrew widows are being fed and, and the Hellenistic widows are not being fed. We're going to have to have some men that really are wise here to be able to handle this situation. But finally, it boils down to this. Once you find spiritual men, you make sure that they can actually get the job done. Friends, I know it's a cliche, but you know it's true. Talk is cheap. Anybody can say, oh, I'll do that. You know what the real test is? Is when somebody gets up every day and says, Lord, I'll go to work with you. I'll be a partner with you every day. And Lord, I will take your work as a heavy responsibility. What do you shrug off? Would you shrug off something at your workplace before you'd shrug off something in the Lord's kingdom? The Lord's looking for individuals. He's looking for individuals that He can place over responsibilities and they will feel the weight of the importance of God's kingdom. You see, it boils down to this. There was an important work that needed to be done, but the leaders must be spiritual because that was the nature of the congregation. They were a spiritual group of people. Let's always be that. Let's never settle for anything less than giving our whole life and heart to God and walking daily with Him in a spiritual way and make sure that everything that we do is done in the Spirit of God. Tonight, let's do that individually. If your life's not right with God, let's make it right tonight. Let's make sure that we leave here not walking with this carnal nature, but that we're walking after the Spirit of God. And if we can help you in that in any way, if you're ready to be baptized into Christ or you're ready to be restored, if, there, if you have questions or concerns or prayers, whatever we can do to help you, we'd love to do that tonight. As we